Welcome back to a special episode of Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We are here tonight to talk about season two, episode three of both shows for Legion. That's Cry Wolf, originally aired on the 6th of October 2007. And for Strange New Worlds, that's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, originally aired on the 29th of June 2023. Matt, how the hell are you doing tonight? Doing pretty well, Bob. Uh, once again, I, I feel like our Legion episode probably has no chance in hell of beating out our Stranger Worlds episode. No chance. So that's what you got. What, what, Matt? You mean you were able to follow the complicated time travel of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? I was very much able to, Bob. I'm so proud of myself. Whoa. I didn't need a notebook and a pen. I mean, I, I guess you're, you're you're here to school us and all all the uh, the chodes online who uh, did not understand it because of limited reading comprehension. <laughs> time travel is very complicated, Bob. Yes, yes. But before we get to your uh, pedagogy, Matt, shall we start with the plot of Cry Wolf? Sure, Bob. So the plot of Crywolf. Timberwolf is framed for killing his father, Dr. Marlondo, and hunted by Cosmic Boy, Colossal Boy, Sun Boy, and Superboy X. But he's assisted by Chameleon Nepo and Phantom Girl. So this episode was written by John Mark DeMatteis, who's uh, one of my favorite comics writers. You know him? Yeah, he wrote the Justice League International in the late 80s and early 90s. I've read a good bit of that run. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, he dialogued it over Keith Giffen's plots, I think, is what the Division of Labor was there. Yeah. And then I also found out recently, and I haven't I haven't read it yet, but it's in my queue, uh, Justice League Infinite, which is a continuation of uh, the Justice League Unlimited. I've been meaning to read that, too. I also haven't read it. I do know it provoked some controversy a year or two ago with like. I think it had like dark side, like mind controlling Wonder Woman or something. And people were very, uh, very spun up for like three days about it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like some rule 34 type stuff that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big David Mateus fan. Like I said, love that JLI run that he did with Keith Giffen. Also really like his uh, runs on Dr. Fate and on 90 Spider-Man he, he and late 80s Spider-Man. He did a, probably the the grim darkest Spider-Man of like Craven's Last Hunt. And I think he's the one who came up with uh, the Arkham Asylum for Spider-Man, Ravencroft. That's what Spider-Man needs. <laughs> and then this is a little belated because I just happened to notice the De Mateus on the credits for this episode. We haven't really talked about writing credits for Legion and the life of the podcast. So I went back and looked and a few other writing credits we should have noted at different points. Our man, Greg Wiseman, you remember him Matt? Uh, from Young Justice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wrote uh, the episode we covered last week, which is kind of interesting, given your like enthusiasm for it. It's like maybe connects to the similar style, you know, and if you're interested in his work, obviously check us out on Patreon, X-Men 92 versus Young Justice, or check out the episodes of that we've freed up on Patreon. And then also, I, as best as I could tell, and it's very hard to tell with TV shows, it seems like Amy Wolfram was the showrunner, at least for season one of this cartoon, maybe not for season two. I, I Again, it's hard to tell with these things, but she also wrote one of my favorite Teen Titans comics, which is Teen Titans Year One, which is not amazing, but it's just very charming, very cartoony look at the early days of the Teen Titans. 
All right. So sorry for the detour, but to get back on Legion, Matt, did you have any uh, thoughts on a Timberwolf hulking out in this episode? I'm really glad they're exploring his beastly ways. It kind of gives them an edge. Makes him a I mean, the, scary isn't creature. that the idea of this podcast, Matt? We explore your beastly ways. He, I still, I still think he'd be more beast mode though. I think they should beast him up even more. I kind of want him. I kind of wanted to see him like go beast mode enough to take out Superboy X. That would have been cool. That, see, that's what needs to happen. I don't. I don't think they're willing to do that because I think if Timberwolf was the, you know, was the tank last season, they want Superboy X to be the tank this season. But it would have been nice. Yeah, and yeah, Superboy X, pretty badass. Not that I dislike Superboy X. It would just be amusing to see him get taken down a peg or two, you know? I don't know if you know this, but during the Silver Age Legion, they play a lot of pranks and a lot of hazings on each other, sometimes on Superboy, sometimes in- internally. But I got to say, like, impaneling the Legionnaires as a tribunal to try Timberwolf and then hand out a life prison sentence to him. That's quite an escalation from the pranks of the silver age. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I feel like Phantom girl wasn't even taking that shit seriously, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. It's like she, it was, well, it's, I think it's relatable to like show up to a meeting, not realize it's that important and then uh, have to actively and frantically work to undo the outcome of that meeting. Yeah. And what do they do? They got them all together and they're thinking they're just going to have like a regular meeting. And then they, here comes Timberwolf and, you know, in chains or whatever. It's like, don't worry, guys. Today we're considering the death penalty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday we had tryouts and the fallout arm fall off arm boy didn't make it. Today we're uh, sentencing Timberwolf to life imprisonment. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing to sit behind that desk and make fun of arm fall off boy. It's another thing to be handing out life sentences. <laughs> We saw you laughing and shit during the arm fallout, boy. Now you got to take it seriously when the serious stuff goes down. <laughs> Matt, you ever been on a jury? No, I didn't get accepted onto a jury. I tried to. I've been on a jury once and I was nearly on a jury a second time. Um, I don't know why. I would. You seem like you're too smart to be on a jury. <laughs> so I was nearly on the, the jury for a, a child molestation case. And oh, God. I think the reason I didn't get on was the during voir dire because it was such a, you know, disgusting, you know, alleged crime. Like yeah. they had a really big jury pool and they were, you know, they were doing voir dire, like the selection process. And I, I can't I still don't know years later if this person was like stupid or if this was her way of trying to avoid jury duty. But she was asked her opinion on the police and she's like, oh, I love the police. I would do anything they told me to. And <laughs> I and another guy just bust out. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you kicked off. <laughs> but but th- that's the thing is like, but it's it still as extreme as what she was saying. It's like it's just the other end. <laughs> well, it did. But it didn't immediately like I that I, I had to stick around for like at least another 30 minutes or an hour. And I was like actually in the box before they struck me. Yeah. So this is what, this is what the lawyers are there, Bob. This is when they're, they're doing their, their high level intellectual jury selection. Those two guys laughed about the police thing. Obviously they don't like the police. (laughs) We want them on our jury. Well, and the funny thing is, is like, you know how in, in, in voir dire, they sort of like preview their arguments for the trial. Yeah. Like again, the the accused, I, you know, I hope he got a fair trial. I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm I saying he's accused. I don't know if he was guilty. I didn't get to hear the evidence. Right. I never looked. I never tried to figure out what happened in the case. Yeah. But 
But let me just say, if the type of arguments they were floating during voir dire were any indication, that guy totally did it. <laughs> like it, it was literally like, do you think you might do something when you're drunk that you would never do sober? And it's like, <laughs> you mean molest a child? Jesus, it's awful. It's so fucking awful. Oh, God. So, Matt, uh, D- does this all make me sound like Chameleon Nepo, who is uh, Timberwolf's most outspoken ally, even though he's barely been in the show to this point? No, Bob, Chameleon Nepo is doing one of those things where he's like trying to make himself seem like really important. When in reality, we know, we all know why he's actually there, you know, <laughs> RJ. Br- yeah, yeah. He also knows the other Legionnaires can't say shit to him because they're on his dad's payroll. So yep. he's just going to do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah, for people who missed the last episode, uh, it was alluded that uh, about R.J. Brand, Chameleon's uh, father or adopted father, depending on the timeline, often funds the Legion. Yeah. What, what would have been really good, Bob, is if we had compared this episode to last week's episode of Strange New Worlds <laughs> with the courtroom stuff. Yeah, yeah. A lot of courtroom stuff. A lot of courtroom <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, you know, obviously the season two wants us to identify as the audience with Superboy X. You know, we want they want us to think he's a cool rebel. But is it a bit of a risk to that to have him collaborate with Dick White Cosmic Boy or is it just a matter of Superboy X is too much of a rebel to even bother to defend his friends like Timberwolf? Superboy X should not have been part of the tribunal because Superboy X is from the future and therefore should already know what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure that the uh, the the records in the 41st century are not that good, Matt. You sure about putting a man on trial for life imprisonment? <laughs> Matt, do you do you know what the outcomes of a trial in 1023 were? Guilty. <laughs> You might be surprised. Medieval justice is wild, dog. I don't think this is the O.J. Simpson case, Matt. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's the O.J. Simpson. I don't think it's Casey Anthony. I don't think anybody's going to remember whether or not Timberwolf uh, did the rest of his life. on. Where were you when Timberwolf was uh, sentenced to life imprisonment? But here's the thing. If you're Superboy X and you know you're coming into this tribunal meeting, don't you think you'd like maybe look that shit up at some point? How? He's not in. He's in the present or not in the but present. He's in the future, but he's trapped there. Right. So he doesn't have access yeah. to any of his like computer shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. And also, do you think does Superboy X strike you as somebody who paid a lot of attention in medieval history class? <laughs> no, Bob, he doesn't seem that kind of way. But if so, if it even survives in the record, which is dubious because there's been a wholesale collapse of society in between, uh, I guess this would be the year 3007 and Superboy X is from the year 4007. Huh. It seems like there's been a wholesale collapse, if not a couple. So if it even survives in the record, I don't think Superboy X will have read that record, Matt. But they know Jonathan and Martha Kent, Bob. Yeah, because that literally they're programmed into his carekeeper, caretaker robot. Well, caretaker robot should like get some other information they need. Like if it were, did, did, did Wolfman get, (laughs) get sentenced to life in prison or did he escape? (laughs) Look, if it were a trial of Superboy, I would agree that you should not have Superboy X on the tribunal for Superboy. (laughs) That raises a lot of questions of like, are they even a separate person? (laughs) Yeah. Then you're like putting yourself, that's what they should have done. They should have put Superboy like on trial, the old school (laughs) Superboy. That would have been a good show. Let's do that. 
Well, speaking of uh, speaking of my identification with Phantom Girl as the irresponsible juror, I uh, would like to say I really liked her quote about Timberwolf having melodrama and self-pity, a toxic combination, a good moral <laughs> reminder for, for us all from uh, Phantom Girl. That's very true. So the episode doesn't come out and say this, Matt, but the clear implication is uh, Timberwolf's father, Marlando, is working for Imperiax now, right? I'm just going to assume, yeah, they're all working for, for Imperiax. It makes sense. He's creating beastly people to fight in the Imperiax war. Yeah, yeah. It seems like Imperiax need, needs beast soldiers, just like Mars needs women. Um and then in the kind of like broader context, uh, what did you think of this episode since it like sidelines all our familiar characters except for T-Wolf and Phantom Girl, uh, but uses the new Legionnaires as like mostly an antagonistic force? I was just kind of curious what you thought of that. It's kind of an interesting departure from the, for the show because it kind of hurt, the- hurt the episode a little bit because mm. I feel like when I watch it, I want to see those other characters and I really got here was Phantom Girl and. Uh, Timberwolf. That's it. Like those are really the only ones that I'm like super familiar with. Yeah. I mean, I guess in a certain sense, it is kind of faithful to the experience of reading Legion comics because especially I think in the seventies and the eighties, the tendency is like, okay, you're just going to focus on like four Legionnaires for this issue story. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You just highlight certain characters each issue. Yeah. But it it is a maybe a little bit strange, though, coming after like season one really does train us to think of the Legion as that like core of like, what was it, six or seven people? Yeah, like a team. Yeah, those, yeah, you know, those yeah. six or seven kids. And then just to move into like a rotating cast without having done much to establish like, you know, the only the only characters who are persecuting uh, Timberwolf that we know anything about or Superboy X and Cosmic Boy. And, you know, all we know about Cosmic Boy is he's an uptight dickwad. So, right. Uh, then I don't know yeah. much more about it, but he says Magneto powers. That's about it. Magneto powers and 1960s Cyclops personality. There you go. Yep. Yep. So what's interesting, Bob, about this is that there was a comic book, you know, that we, we covered previously that was a solo kind of issue for uh, Timberwolf. Yeah. I liked it way better than this episode. You thought it did better by your boy Timberwolf. Even though Fair. Timberwolf is my, my non-Superboy Legionnaire of the Week, Bob, because this is like okay. his episode. But still, I think that the comic did a, did a solo outing better than, than this episode. You, uh, you, you can't even spell his name right, but he's your favorite. Uh, he's your favorite Legionnaire of the Week. That makes sense. That makes I did sense. spell it correctly. I just you didn't put the, you didn't put the space in. Oh man, Timberwolf. <laughs> Timberwolf. Timberwolf. Yeah, say it all in one word. Timberwolf. Um, I, I'll give it to Phantom Girl, who I was going to give it to anyway. Uh, I mean, partially because she's always been my favorite Legionnaire, partially because she was pretty good in this episode, and uh, partially because we uh, determined that she and I are both irresponsible jurors. So the connection, uh, you know, <laughs> really, really, uh, really, really tied together. So, Matt, we've delayed long enough with uh, stories of our, our service or uh, failure to serve in jury duty and talking about the Legion. Shall we move? Move on to the plot of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Sure, Bob. So in the plot of Tomorrow, 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 Noonien Singh meets a dying gut shot time traveler in a hallway whose device first first transports her to the original series version of Yesterday's Enterprise, then transports her in that alternate reality vegan, but a bit harder than an alternate vegan Kirk from the finale, Jim Kirk, 
to the 21st century, either just before or just after the events of Picard season two. Yeah. Yeah. So just as a little bit of trivia for you, this is the fourth Star Trek episode named after a Macbeth quote. Um, the other three being the original series had Dagger of the Mind and All Our Yesterdays. And then Disco had a vaulting ambition. Yeah. Uh, what are they going with here, Bob? Generating Macbeth quotes? Well, I mean, they stick? Lo- are, are, are we generating Macbeth quotes and writing episodes around them? They didn't have to generate. These are these are like the most common like Macbeth phrases you could get. They're not they're not generated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just picking random ass quotes or going to like give me a Macbeth quote on Google and say, OK, I can build an episode around that. I would like to believe the writers of this show have read Macbeth. <laughs> You know, like it's like a creative writing class, Bob, where they all have like a, a hat with Macbeth, quote, Macbeth quotes in it and they pull them out and have to decide. Uh, <laughs> That's why, how they wrote like, the whole season. Uh, uh, <laughs> like truly, like we, we take one of the great one of the great works of art of like human, like not just of like English literature, but just of human literature. And then we just make it an utterly banal creative writing exercise. No, I, I, I can't, I refuse to believe that's what they did. <laughs> I, I think they want to go for original series vibes and original series vibes are, you know, involve a lot of Shakespeare quotes, not exclusively, but a lot of Shakespeare quotes. And so they just did uh you know, they wrote the episode and they're like, Oh, what should we call it? And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. That line from Macbeth, that would, that would work here. That, that's how it happens, Bob. I know. I'm just you're just you're just trying to make me wince and cringe all at once, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just giving so, you ideas for what you can do with your college course, Bob. Oh, don't get me started on creative writing, Matt. Um, <laughs> so, Matt, any theories on uh, get to get to a happier topic before Nooney and Singh meets the dying gutshot time traveler? Any theories on who called the noise complaint on Spock? It had to be some ass clown. Uh, wouldn't the scene have been like better if we didn't have last week's Mbinga with the loot thing? Yeah, like the we established last week that Mbinga gives Spock the loot to manage his stress or blood pressure or whatever. Yeah, wouldn't it have just been better had like we had them open the door to Spock's quarters and oh, he's playing it. Yes. Although I can see why a modern creative writing class would have convinced someone that, no, no, you need to set that up. You can't just have it. So you need. (laughs) But yes, you're 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 absolutely right. We we didn't. We already know that Spock plays the the liar. And even if we don't know it, it's still kind of a funny scene and it's funnier without having to set up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't I don't get why they're not taking their time with this. Instead, we have like this whole. In one way, it would have been an Easter egg to TOS fans. The other way now, it's like, oh, yeah, that was the instrument Mbinga gave them or told them to start playing last week. You know, that's what it is, Bob. That It's pulled out. It's just not meant for us. It's meant for fans who didn't watch TOS. But even I still think it. But that's what I'm saying. Even if you didn't watch TOS, it would still be funnier to have no setup. That's true. The surprise, the surprise of Spock showing up with an instrument you've never seen him play in the show would be funnier than the, oh, he took Mabinga's advice from last episode. An- another great line in the pre thing before Nuni and Singh gets transported is she's uh, giving a, is it Pelia? How do you say her name? Pelia? Pelia. 
Pelia. She's giving Pelia a hard time. And, uh, you know, Pelia, once again, just for all the capitalist Star Trek fans out there, all two of you, uh, Pelia once again confirms that, yes, the Federation is socialism because she says, uh, in case this whole no money socialist utopia thing turns out to be a fad, <laughs> which was both a funny line and booyah right wing Star Trek fans oh. grow up, find a find a different franchise like shitty Star Wars. Yeah, that pretty much sealed it right there with her uh, with her quote. Now, Bob, OK, just for the listeners sake, when you say vegan Kirk, you're just referring to Paul Wesley being so skinny, correct? That's what people were calling him during the season one finale. It, I think it was mostly kind of more troll, like right wing Star Trek fans. But oh, okay. it was I thought it was kind of funny. So I've just decided like to be clear, I actually think Paul Wesley is very interesting as Kirk. I like the performance and I I did go back and like listen to our uh, season one finale just to remember what we'd said about vegan Kirk. And I think the point we made there that stands up now is that you couldn't portray uh, Kirk in the same way that Shatner did in the original series. It just wouldn't work for a modern audience. So you have to you have to depart from it. And I think Paul Wesley is an interesting departure. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. I just want to clarify for the listeners, because even I was a little confused. I was like, what the hell is he talking about vegan Kirk? Did I miss some joke here? I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a derogatory term that people were making. But that I'm trying to reclaim and mean affectionately. You're, trying, yeah, you're making it affectionate, Bob. Yes. Paul Wesley, I heard, is hitting up your Twitter just loving you. Uh, that's that's creepy. No, that's not happening. <laughs> he said he, um, loves, he loves it when you refer to him as vegan Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will say it is pretty hilarious that every time Paul Wesley shows up as vegan Kirk, it's been an alternate timeline vegan Kirk. That's that's been pretty interesting. We had we had that in the finale. We have that this episode. That is true. And real quick, Bob, going back to what you talk about with William Shatner. I mean, it, that's what it would look like. Like if he was doing the Kirk from the uh, original series, it would look more like Paul Wesley trying to imitate William Shatner as opposed to actually trying to play Kirk. Well, and, and, I, and that's what like, they've avoided, yeah. which is great. I yeah. mean, it just well, and like I, you know, I William Shatner. I love his performance in the original series and the movies. I'm not here to to disrespect it, but it's like very campy mm-hmm. to a modern to modernize. And you just can't do it the same way. And like you said, it would just be received as a as a Shatner impersonation. It wouldn't be received as like a performance on the character. Right. Right. Some of the fans on Facebook, all these groups I, I frequent and stuff, some of them were confused by the time travel piece. And I don't understand. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. It seems I mean, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to get in the weeds about like the eugenics wars, like sliding in the timeline, I could maybe understand. Or if you wanted to get in the weeds about like, how does this relate to um, the Star Trek Picard teasing of like that like data's ancestor being involved in the creation of Khan Nooney and Singh like that. There's also room for confusion there, but just like on the literal, like plot comprehension level and time travel comprehension, like I don't understand what's confusing about this. Yeah, I don't either. And I've, I've tried to like understand what they're asking, <laughs> but it's just, everything just got shifted forward a little bit. Instead of happening in 1992, it's been distorted. Now everything's kind of pushed a little forward to the time they're in now. I, I don't. It's Which, not that. Yeah. Like, 
and this that did this didn't originate that idea. So just to clarify for listeners, like when Khan is first introduced in Space Seed in uh, the original series, like the references that, you know, and Space Seed came out in, I think, 67, maybe 66, right. 66 or 67. The references to the eugenics wars are in the 90s. Obviously, we passed that. There are no eugenics wars. So what do you do with that? Um, one alternative in like the 90s and early aughts para canon was somebody wrote a book where there were eugenics wars, but they were just secret. They were covert. Mm-hmm. But the option that the canon new Star Trek has tended to favor, although I think they were even doing this in Enterprise, although I've got to be honest, I don't remember it in, I don't remember it in Enterprise very well. But the option that um, Picard and now Strange New Worlds is picking up on is that no, it didn't happen in the 90s. It happened further up the timeline. And the reason we don't know about that is time travel. You know, time travel has changed it, which seems to me to be a very legitimate way to go about it. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm happy with the way it's set up. I don't see a problem with it. I mean, it just makes sense. And then also you avoid anything like if it's not in the 90s, then you can you avoid the whole issue of when Picard was visiting and also the issue of when Cisco was visiting and all those like different times time travel took place. Did did we ever see Picard visit the nineties? No. What year was that? Was it was it twenty? Yeah. It was, sorry, I meant uh, later. Remember? Yeah, Pig, yeah. yeah. They go back in time the whole season two, but well, it wasn't the nineties. It was the well, yeah. It's the present. It's like twenty twenty four or twenty twenty. Oh yeah, but it's an alternate Some... timeline. Yeah, that's right. No, wait, no, no, no. Is they it, do go back in not, time. No, no, no. They do go back in time because remember we they really do go back in time. Of, yeah, to the nineties. Yeah. No, it's not the 90s. Well, then why did it's, I think they were going to run into Cisco? Am I just crazy? Because no, no. So, like it's a Cisco goes to the Bell riots, which are around that same time. Although right. it's there. I think in hindsight, it's not exactly the same time. It's like there's a couple years difference. Let me. Let okay. Me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's like, yeah. Or actually, no, it's, no, it's not it, it, the 90s. Neither of them go to the 90s. That's why I'm confused of why. That's right. They go to the 90s in Voyager. They go to the they go to the it's like the late 2000s or early yeah. 2000s. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. I'm the problem, Bob. I'm the problem. It's me. I'm the one who doesn't understand the time travel. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> me oh, OK. No, I, I. so I'm slightly wrong, too. Let me. We don't understand the time travel, Bob. We're the problem. So. You and I both agree that this pretty much makes sense, like in terms of the episode, right? Like right. it's very easy to watch and follow. I don't understand how you could be confused about what actually happens in the episode because it's very straightforward. Yes. The two things I think you potentially could be confused about would be the eugenics war timeline and how this relates to Picard season two and the bell riots. So to take those like separately, this is confusing about the eugenics war. Cause like we said before, it's a sliding time scale right. where originally in the sixties in the original series, they posited Khan as coming out of the nineties eugenics wars. And obviously you either have to come up with an explanation like that novel did in the 90s or the early 2000s that the eugenics wars were secret or you have to move it in the timeline. And so 
Picard season two already was contributing to that. And I think maybe even Enterprise had contributed to sliding it in the timeline. Although yes. I don't remember that super vividly. So I can't speak to that for dead certain. But so if you're angry at that or confused at that to like the fans out there who are angry or confused about this, this idea didn't begin with this episode. It's something that's been around since Picard season two or even since Enterprise, maybe. The other thing that you could be confused about and that I am a little confused about is how this relates to Picard season two and the Bell Riots. So both the Bell Riots, which is a two, you know, that's that two part episode of DS9 where Cisco goes back uh, with Bashir and Dax to San Francisco and it's like real messed up. And they start a protest movement that's in some sense supposed to lead to the Federation. That doesn't, it's not really clear how that ties in to either Picard season two, which pointedly takes place in the same year, 2024, but they never make any connection to it. And, you know, that was kind of our hope that, like, maybe in Picard season two, they would show Cisco or Dax or Bashir, right? right. Like back in the past. That connection's a little obscure. And it's also a little obscure in Picard season two because we do see, as best I can remember, we see Data's ancestor initiate the Khan project or something to that effect. However, is this, it's not exactly clear what year they're in. Right. Here. It seems like it could be slightly before or slightly after the Picard season two timeline. Like it could, this could be like 2022 or it could maybe be like 2025, 2026. I think there's a reference to like Sela has been in the this timeline for like 30 years and you could take that as like a literal accurate description or you could take that as like a looser phrase. Does that make sense? That does make sense, yeah. And and then again it's it's I mean it's an alternate timeline so you can really do whatever you want with well, it. Well, no, this is no, this is where I disagree with you. It's not an alternate timeline. So you're 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 confused. I, I noticed this in the notes. You're you're confused about what I'm what I was saying last week about the alternate timeline. I was I was saying half jokingly, half not, that you could argue that Enterprise Discovery and Strange New Worlds are on a different timeline that that's brought into being after first contact. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the more I watch of this, like what, what I guess you would call this a prequel, the more I agree with your prediction that we may be getting. Like no, a no, 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 no. It's not a prediction. It's not a prediction. Oh, it's, it's true. Just, no, it's, it's just like, it's just an observation. Observation. I, I'm okay. not, I'm not predicting anything. Bob is not predicting things. He's not putting any, he's not putting any money in this. <laughs> no, like it's just, it's just something that like inarguably like, Inarguably, the events of First Contact did change the timeline slightly. Yes. And if you really wanted to like keep like some of the paracanon in place about like what happened before Star Trek, the original series, you could say, oh, that paracanon happened. The original series, Next Generation happened, but then First Contact happened. And so now we're on a new timeline. I don't think they're ever. I think the new timeline, though, just is the timeline. I don't think they're ever going to reveal that like, oh, no, like Enterprise Discovery and Strange New Worlds are this are this, you know, alternate wrong thing. And, oh, we have to restore the real timeline or something. I don't think that's what they're doing. Okay. 
I, I just think it's kind of amusing to note that you can make that argument. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not saying that I think those three shows are illegitimate. I just think it's a funny, a funny fact of how time travel has worked out in the in Star Trek. And you could also point that since Enterprise and Strange New Worlds both involve a lot of time travel, it's kind of interesting to think about what other amplifications or alterations to the timeline have happened because of that. Yeah, and I really just think this is a device for the writers to be able to write whatever they want without having to worry too much about the established canon. Without, <laughs> I mean, it gives them but some leeway, I, not I a think, lot, but it gives them some though. But see, what I disagree with you is you're saying like I don't think what they're doing is like violating existing canon, or at least not that severely. Well, they're not, but they're making sure they have a way to write it in where if they needed to, they could. They could, they could, and I mean, it seems like the real reason they're doing this is that. It gives them a way to have the Romulans as antagonist, right? Right. Like now, you, you like because because of the the Star Trek timeline, you can't really have direct encounters between the Enterprise and Romulan ships in the present. That that won't work because of what Balance of Terror that original series establishes, where no you know no Federation ship has seen. A Romulan ship in like 300 years or whatever, not 300 years, but since the Earth Romulan War. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but the idea that the Romulans are actively trying to meddle with the timeline, but they're doing it in disguise does allow a way to have the Romulans as a villain. And it like it also makes an interesting parallel where it's well established in Enterprise that Vulcan's are observing earth for a long time and are you know like camping out they're taking part in things in a very indirect way for a long time before first contact and so it kind of it's kind of interestingly makes the romulans like the other side of that coin although you know it also like the vulcans aren't sure who the romulans are at this point in the timeline either which is an important point to make well, I mean, they've got a good setup here. I think they've, I think they've written themselves an out for when they need an out. I don't think they've really used it yet as much as we want them to, but or as much as I would expect them to. But I mean, that that is what it is, though. It is an out in case they want to really alter something, right? I mean, it's- yeah. I mean, it might be the setup for for them playing with the timeline more, but I. I don't I don't I don't necessarily think that's I mean, and I could be proved wrong here. I don't think that's the main reason to do it. I think the main reason to do it is just to have it's just to have the Romulans be um, be a viable antagonist in this narrow way. And also, I mean, clearly Strange New Worlds like is a show that's like very interested in like making comment on the immediate present. Like we saw this way back in the season one premiere right right and this is kind of like an open line for them to do more if they want to kind of like commenting on the present or the very near future if that makes sense that makes sense okay yeah sorry i can i I just think i I just think you like didn't take what i was saying about the alternate timeline i'm not saying it's like they're going to replace it or change it i just think it's kind of funny to think about i think it's a kind of funny possibility to think about Bob is not predicting. Bob knows no. it. 
this he year, knows, man. He knows there's a brand new prime timeline, and eventually the prime timeline is going to fight the Kelvin timeline. It's going to be awesome. No, no, they should keep the Kelvin timeline far away. No, but they should Although both I, combine. They should fight. They should have fight scenes. Kurt versus Kurt. It's going to be great. Why Why are you trying to ruin Star Trek like they ruined the MCU, <laughs> Matt? What if they had all three Kirks on the screen at the same time? It'd be awesome. Ugh, ugh. I, I will say the only acceptable way to reference the Kelvin timeline is how they did it in this episode, which is they had Paul Wesley, vegan Kirk, steal a car. That that was fun. I liked that. That was a good reference to, to the original J.J. Trek movie. Yeah, but I like that, you know, he didn't know how to make it work. That was what was funny. Yeah. Like he didn't know how to drive it at first. Yeah. You, like you explained one of those Fast and the Furious type spin out things, but he like uh-huh. he just backs into the car <laughs> behind him. See, that was smart because you thought, oh, Kirk's going to do it. And they're going to start playing some rock music and he's going to go flying down the street. No, no, no. He didn't know how to drive the damn car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I can't remember if I asked you this already, but did you have any thoughts on like how they keep presenting Vegan Kirk to us as an alternate timeline version of Vegan Kirk? I mean, it's, I guess it's just safe right now because they don't want to they they don't want to put too much Kirk on the screen, but they want Kirk on the screen. So, I mean, I, it shows a commendable amount of restraint, I think. You know, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. And it, it's also just interesting how we'll see if this continues in the season. But just thinking of how this season two has gone so far. You know, I've, I think I've seen some people speculate that Ansem Mount is like, you know, has like Hollywood commitments and so they can't use him that much. But because he was mostly gone in the first episode, right? And he's mostly right. gone in this episode. I'm not sure if that will continue in the season or if it's just, you know, just kind of how the season shook out. But I, I mean, I I'm kind of really, fine with it because like yeah. it just highlight like you like you said before, it, it really lets you learn more about the crew members. Yeah, yeah. It does what Discovery has never allowed itself to do, or Picard, or maybe even Enterprise, which is really develop characters like Nooney and Singh, like Una, um, you know, like Ortegas in just ways that just have not been done in most of most of the rest of New Trek, right? Right. I mean, it's not just all about Pike. I mean, he's the captain of the ship, yes, but there's other there are crew members that are interesting to learn about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. See, just we've already covered a lot of the big stuff just to cover a little of the little stuff. I, I, I thought it uh, vegan Kirk thinking it was New York and it actually being Toronto was pretty funny. Actually, I'm not sure if that'll land for everybody, but I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, there are a lot of shows that film in Canada. It must be way cheaper to like film in Canada than it is here in the U.S. Well, I think there are tax reasons to do it, but I don't think a super lot of stuff film in Toronto. I think it's more Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah. Um, yeah Vancouver, yeah. I mean, Toronto, I was looking this up because I thought I'd heard that Toronto was more expensive than New York. Apparently, it's not, but I still do think Toronto is, you know, it's the New York of Canada, and I do think yeah. it's significantly more expensive than the rest of the country. And then, Matt, we have Vegan Kirk refer to uh, his first officer with uh, a female pronoun. Uh, do you think they're hinting that in the alternate timeline, Vegan Kirk's XO is number one? Uh, yeah, probably could be. That's my thought. That or. Yeah. Yeah. Because especially. Did, yeah. Because did, he didn't know who Noonien. He didn't know Noonien Singh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it couldn't have been her. So, yeah, it's probably number one. 
Yeah, yeah, it couldn't have been. Um, couldn't be her. It it just seemed, and maybe it wasn't supposed to be significant, but it kind of felt significant. And yeah. also, it it would be very in character. I feel like for number one to be playing chess with alternate timeline vegan Kirk in the same way that Spock plays, you know, uh, chess with uh, with regular meat eating Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Your first one, your first regular chess is idiot's chess, which very funny. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) You need to learn how to play chess on three boards, not one. All right, Matt. So I hope your I hope your dream of Chris Pine, William Shatner, and Paul Wesley on screen together never comes to pass. That sounds horrifying and awful. But if it does, how should we call them? Should we say that Shatner is carnivore Kirk? Uh, Paul Wesley is vegan Kirk, but what what would that make Chris Pine? Let's just call him fake Kirk, <laughs> or maybe paleo paleo Kirk, paleo Kirk, or maybe maybe Shatner should be paleo Kirk, and Chris Pine should be uh, should be uh, carnivore Kirk. Yeah, we, we can go for that. I like that carnivore right. Kirk I, and paleo. I'm, Kirk. I'm gonna sh- I'm I'm gonna shop this around and see what people what people think. Well, yeah, yeah, get get, get that out there, Bob. <laughs> so Matt, we have a lot of uh, sexual tension between Vegan Kirk and La'an Noonien Singh in this episode. Is this a kind of playful way for the writers to ship original Kirk and uh, Khan Noonien Singh? I, I really think it is. I think there's something. I really think they want Noonien Singh and Kirk to somehow be a thing. But I, I don't know how that's going to work with her never being mentioned. In the future. <laughs> so once again, I thought the timeline maybe is being like altered a little bit. If she really does go through and meet up with actual with vegan Kirk on the, on the prime timeline. There's a lot of tension there between those two. I feel like that would have been, uh, that would be an interesting relationship. In the yeah, least. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then something else that you said, I was struggling to connect this episode to Picard season two, and I'm not really satisfied with what I've got. But um, I I do think it is kind of funny. I totally forgot Sam Kirk was a character on this show until Lon brought him up. I was totally surprised by that. I did, too. I completely forgot. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just Paul Wesley with a mustache. So. Yeah, that that has been one uh, one weird thing, right, is that they made such a big deal of introducing George Kirk early in season one. And then they've just basically not used him at all. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen him. Or since. Sam Kirk, not George. Yeah, Kirk. Sam Kirk. Yeah. Or no. What is his name? Samuel George Kirk. Is that it? Or no, George yeah. Kirk's the father. That's George Kirk's the father. Yeah, so. George is the father. Sam's the son. I don't remember what his middle name was, though, but they did say I think it, it is. Okay, his name is George Samuel Kirk, but he goes by Sam. Okay. Another little minor canon thing is we get a lot of Danubian references this episode. That guy, and if you don't know Matt, you know the doctor on Enterprise, Phlox. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was not familiar with the with the with the species. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. Flocks is one of the best things about Enterprise. But so we have the Danubian early in the episode complaining to La'an that he lost a ring his matriarch gave him. And then later we have Vegan Kirk saying that he jailed in a Danubian jail with a Vulcan, which huh. 
kind of sounded like he meant Spock, but clearly he doesn't mean Spock because we saw alternate reality Spock like, you know, earlier in the episode. Yeah, this is like ruffian timeline Spock or something. I don't know. Some <laughs> random ass Vulcan he was hanging out with. <laughs> Matt, uh, did you share my embarrassment that you didn't think of them going to Palea sooner since we already established that she was around in this timeline? I mean, yeah, I was a little embarrassed, especially because she flat out just announced where she lived at that time. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like I lived in Vermont. I'm like, OK, <laughs> very, very conveniently close to Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> Within driving and, distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we also establish, although it's not entirely clear if this is a joke, but um, it, she she has a joke that implies that she knew Pythagoras, he of the theorem. So yeah. this means that she might be functionally immortal and that she might have been on Earth since like the sixth century BCE, which is uh, you know kind of longer than I had in my based off her conversation in the first episode. I wasn't necessarily assuming she was that long lived or you know, nearly immortal. I mean, she may have been Jesus, Bob. That'd be a good Star Trek story. <laughs> what about okay. here's, here's my question about her bob uh uh-huh. i don't think it's even been answered really but she's immortal in the sense that if she, she can live as long as she'd like but she can be killed see that we don't know yet like can you I mean, if you if she dies if she gets shot is she dead yeah it's well and i guess technically we don't know for sure that she's actually immortal it just like you know the time frame i got from her talking to spock is that she'd been around for centuries but it turns out that she's been around for like it if this joke about pythagoras is to be taken at face value that means she's at least three millennia old right yeah and she looks the same so that to me just tells you that they don't really age or they didn't go through the trouble of de-aging her in the past yeah, or, well at least we we just know she we know she hasn't aged between uh, the 20 the the 2020s and what what are we i think we're in the 2350s or the 2360s right in star trek strange new world yeah yeah so at least she hasn't visibly aged in that time okay. we don't we don't know what she yeah so and I'm sorry you had it oh you, but your question i mean i would assume she could be killed so really, um, it's, just, it's just a game of like staying alive to continue yeah, living. Like yeah. it's not like you don't have to worry about dying of old age. Yeah. Which also is kind of interesting because if if we assume that she can be killed, it does maybe make her paranoia about like social unrest maybe feel kind of interesting because it's like on the one hand, she is so long lived. But on the other hand, she does have to kind of avoid trouble. She can't take too many risks, but then again, she's lived so long. Is she ready? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because it seems like boredom is really a thing for her, right? Because like she's in the 2020s, she knows nothing about engineering, but by the, by the, you know, by the 23rd century, uh, sorry. Yeah. I misspoke earlier. It's the 20, the 2260s or the 2250s, but by the 23rd century, she knows enough about engineering to be, you know, this chief engineer of a starship. So like clearly like boredom and like retraining herself regularly is a thing she does. Yeah. Which I guess is what I would do, you know, if I was going to live forever. Yeah. You keep, you keep a normal career length and just keep retraining yourself. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I, I did just want to observe again. Uh, I, I do like how Sarah, the, the Romulan agent, has been in Canada for 30 years and it's made her utterly insane. That makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Matt, you asked if I'd noticed if Nooney and Singh left a loaded gun with the kid Khan, uh, if that La'an left a gun. I, I didn't notice it. Um, what did you think the significance of that was? I mean, I don't know. She there was a whole thing where they went back and forth with the gun and then Noonien sings just like, uh, bye, Kid Con. See you later. I'm going back to my timeline. And it's just left with a loaded gun in a room. You know, she knows this kid's going to turn into be like a, a damn terrorist. Did she think he was going to shoot himself or was he going to shoot other people or was he just not even going to uh, touch well, it? Partially. Well, I, I can think of three things to say about it. Partially, she can't take the gun with her or she shouldn't take the gun with her, you know, to not mess with the time stream. She took the whole outfit, Bob. Don't don't give me that shit. <laughs> but still, I mean, like still, it's yeah, then she shows up yeah. on the bridge like it's normal to be wearing something like that. Well, and I mean, part of the joke of that is that she's very uptight, right? And is never out of uniform. Yeah. 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 But I, I could see it as like she knows that Khan's in a a closely monitored like environment. Yeah. And so she doesn't necessarily think there's any risk of leaving the gun could be one interpretation. Another interpretation could be like you said, even though she's not willing to change the timeline by killing Khan, she might feel like she owes it to his victims or even just owes it to him as her ancestor, like to maybe give him the option of offing himself if that's what he wants or or like to give him the option of using it to try to escape, which, you know, like I said, she can't bring she can't bring herself to change the timeline directly. But maybe she feels like ethically compelled to offer him the alternative, if that makes sense. And I want to point out one other issue with Noonien Singh here, Bob, in the scene where they're stealing the clothing and she puts uh, something like a piece of jewelry in that woman's a bag. Wallet. It's a it's a wallet, a wallet. Yeah. It puts a wallet in that woman's bag like uh why did she do that? That wasn't very, I mean, I got, I get why, but at the same time, that lady's probably going to go to jail or end up mm-hmm. in one of those like shoplifter videos. Jeez. That's, <laughs> that went dark. I'm just, that went very dark. I'm just saying, it's just like, like, why did she, why did she do that to that lady? Could they just walk well, out or like, find some other pretty, way? Like, you don't I accuse, it, now the lady's accused of stealing and might go to jail. Look, she's a lady. It's a man's wallet. I think it's I think it would be like semi persuasive. I think she can make a semi persuasive case that it just fell in or that like this doesn't seem like the type of thing that like a woman would shoplift for herself, especially she seemed to have bought quite a bit of stuff from the store. Uh And also stealing this. Maybe she would steal it for her boyfriend or her son or something. But I, I, I think, uh, I think living in American dystopian society has trained you to expect the absolute worst, Matt. Uh, whereas <laughs> this is Canada, and I, I think things are maybe. Oh a shit! It is Canada. There. I'm s- damn. See, Bob, this is why we need you because you just they wouldn't do that in Canada. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they they don't they don't do the shoplifting videos in Canada. I'm, I'm too used to here. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And see, this is why this is why we need socialism, folks. So uh, you don't have dystopian. You don't have those dystopian shoplifting videos that Matt and I are hinting at. I, I've resisted a lot of your uh, criticisms of the sh- uh, of the episode or not criticisms, but just points about the show. But I, I guess if I were to offer my own 
uh, criticism, it would be, wouldn't it have been better if the time travel device had just vanished when La'an returned to the present? Like you could still have the scene of her going onto the bridge in the in the 20th century or the 21st century clothes, which was pretty funny. You could still have her Skype Vegan Kirk in the in the normal timeline. But I just the exposition from that Department of Temporal Investigations agent wasn't needed, I I thought. I agree. Once I got the Department of Temporal uh, Investigations involved, it was strange because in the grand scheme of things, Bob, wouldn't it have made more sense for them to like meet with these people before they go back and screw everything up? Like, If you really can look at the timeline, like the Department of Temporal Investigations can, and something is altered, but they only come afterward. The, but why don't they ever come they, before? Clearly, they can't look at it that closely, though, because if they could, they could have also saved their guy. So, okay, so my my guess is this is what happens, and this is just completely in my brain. I'm thinking the Department of Terminal Investigations, like they have a department that goes back and looks at where, like, and, and, and like their job is to basically look at where the timeline has been exploited or messed up. And then they go back in time to after it was messed up to, I guess, get a better understanding of what happened and to take away anything, like, like you said, like the, the time travel device just to be on the safe side that doesn't happen again. Like their job is primarily like as clean up as opposed to mm, no, stopping. I, well, no, cause it's no, cause they're not doing cleanup here. They're affirmatively trying to prevent damage. Well, yeah, and, because the initial guy was a DTI agent, right? The guy that got shot. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it, it does make it seem like they are kind of involved in, you know, what they call in, I think they call an enterprise like a temporal cold war. Yes. Um, although in Enterprise, the sides seem to be different than the sides we're seeing here. But, you know, it, it does seem like they're they're more proactive than you're saying. And they are like, you know, affirmatively being countered by at least Romulan time travelers and perhaps other forces as well. OK, so their goal is really just to look back at the timeline and maybe say, hey, you know, this is where something happened. Go back, clean it up a little bit by just talking to Nudie and Singh and making sure she can't go back and alter it anymore with the device. Mm, no, because the guy who Nudie and Singh gets the device from is a DTI agent, we have to assume, right? Yeah. And then she went back and so completed it's not, his mission. He's not doing cleanup. Like it's a more – and I, I, I grant you that it's weird to talk about this because the tenses get weird. Right. But it's like the timeline is what the timeline is. And then they're trying to protect the timeline. They're yeah. not. It's like an ongoing process where like, I, I, I don't know, like I, it's hard to express, but it's like that. It's like it's almost like the attempts to tamper with the past are like in some sense resulting from the present that the DTI is in. Does that make sense? Vaguely. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of understand it, but it, it gets very complicated <laughs> when you start talking well, about time travel. And it's it's also I understand weird. the Facebook people, Bob. I understand them now. it's it's also a little weird because it's like this is seems to be a different conflict over time than we saw in enterprise right because in enterprise we saw the temporal cold war and you know at first i thought this guy who dies is like maybe uh somebody like the character agent daniels from enterprise but but you know it was never very clear 
who or what Agent Daniels represented in Enterprise, or at least it wasn't in my mind very clear what he represented in the Temporal Cold War. So this could be a wholly separate conflict. And then my other initial thought was that this guy who gives the device to La'an is like Gary Seven from the original series or like Talyn from Picard, who are like these, you know, supervisors. Yeah. But it, it seems like the DTI is potentially different from the supervisors, too. And to make it even more complicated, I think we see the DTI in the the Trouble with Tribbles episode of Deep Space Nine. And there, they're, you don't get the sense that they time travel. You just get the sense that they're bureaucrats who come to give Cisco a hard time about having time traveled. That was my original thought, because I thought they just kind of discussed what happened so they could like keep note and record of it before not actually yeah. go back and change things. Maybe we could have the revelation that the DTI agents who were talking to Cisco were like more than they seem to be, but they seem to be like just another aspect of like, you know, 24th century uh, bureaucracy of Starfleet. Whereas the DTI agents we see in this seem to be like from further in the future than the 25th century who are actually time traveling in order to protect the timeline rather than just being bureaucrats to yell at Janeway or Cisco or Picard for time traveling. So they're further ahead than the ones we met in the Cisco and the, uh, it seems the, like, the it seems like triples episode. Okay. I mean that, yeah. that explains it, but then it just seems like you have agents going in and out all the time then. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. And it's, it, it kind of, I mean, it's kind of weird to talk about like, their relationship to attempts to change the past. And I'm not, I'm not really sure like how that should work like conceptually. Right. You know how Bob, a brand new TV show called star Trek DTI All right. anyway. for Paramount plus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, I don't really want that, but I want that so much more than I want a Starfleet Academy show. I'm going to get Bob. Here's, here's what I want to happen. I want Scott Bakula to be ripped from the enterprise timeline and brought you, to the future to go back in time <laughs> to change the past for the better. <laughs> you really should watch like, even if you don't want, like even if you just do like a buzzsaw watch of enterprise, yeah. like you really do owe it to yourself given that you're such a big quantum leap fan to just hope to watch at least some enterprise episodes. Yeah, Cause they, give it a shot. they do. It's not, it's not good, but you're just going to find, you're going to find it interesting. You're just going to enjoy Scott Bakula. <laughs> in the in the one of two roles you know he's in <laughs> oh man so matt how do you think that this uh this episode will impact their plans to do a uh to do a con podcast okay who i got confused when you asked this question who's doing so, a con podcast you remember how when discovery came out the second show announced was that they were going to do a prequel about Khan and his time on SETI Alpha 5 or SETI Alpha 4, whichever oh, one it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Over time, that's evolved into instead of being a TV show, because originally I think it was supposed to be the second TV show. Instead of being a TV show, it's supposed to be a scripted podcast series, the first like Star Trek canon podcast. And it's to be written by Nick Myers, the guy who wrote Star Trek 2 and 6. Hmm. Whether we'll ever actually see it, who knows, but they were officially talking about it at least uh, up till like September 2022. Like they had an announcement in September 2022. I'd, who knows if it'll actually happen, but it, it is something that they were at least very recently in active development on. Okay. 
I kind of like this idea. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Bob. I had I didn't remember this very. I didn't remember much of this. I, I, maybe we discussed it at some point, but I, I feel like I think we might have, but I, I I could be wrong. This sounds like a uh, like a, a sound an audio program, kind of like a like the yeah, Batman yeah. audio like the things Batman HBO ones. Max yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it no. can be interesting to, to if you have a decent voice actor doing con. Yeah. And it's an interview type thing. I don't see a problem with that. It's like a, it's almost like a mock. It's like a mockumentary. I don't think it would be an interview. I think it would be a drama. Would, oh, you think it would be like an actual show, like on a podcast, yeah, not like, not someone pretending to be con and then answering questions about what's going no, on in his life no, at that time. That, oh, yeah. No, no, it would be it would be a drama podcast, which, you know, is, is a thing. Oh, it'd be all right. I mean, it, I don't know. I'm still, I still think it'd be really cool just to have like interview segments with Khan about what's going on in the, in the eugenics okay. war from the. <laughs> well, it, the, I think the idea is it wouldn't be it in about the eugenics war. It would be about his time in exile. Okay. Well, so there you go. He could be telling stories. The time in between Space Seed and Wrath of Khan. Okay. See, now this is the thing. If you got someone who was like a decent host. And then you had a really good voice actor for Khan. You don't need a host. It's a drama. I don't it's, want a drama, though. I want it to be like it. I know. I, I'm, I'm ditching that. I'm saying it needs to be okay, like a mockumentary okay. type thing where it's a podcast. You have someone pretending to someone with voice acting Khan and a really good host that asks some questions that, yeah, this script would have to be like reviewed like entirely to make sure it fits with their canon. But, man, you could do some really interesting stuff there and some interesting reveals. Do like a four part podcast where it's like Ugh. an interview with Khan. An evening with Khan, Nudy, and Singh. I think I think your idea is terrible, and I'm glad Nick Myers is writing it. Anderson Cooper should be the host. (laughs) Um, Oh God, I I will say I actually do think I love what it's actually going to be of a drama podcast if it happens. Uh, I actually kind of like the idea of it as a podcast more than I like the idea of it as a TV show. So. You know, as long as it's not Matt's idea of a variety show with Khan, Nooney, and Singh, I, uh, I will. <laughs> That's listen not to what it. I said. I said a, a, a fake interview. It's not the same thing. So the, I, I'm, yeah, Matt, you you can write the Khan follies. I'm not going to. I'm not going to listen to the Khan follies. All right. Um, but I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. the people involved here, Bob, were very glad it went from being a TV show to a podcast. <laughs> They, I'm, they, sure, they, I'm sure that filter cell would win. They're not, they're not, but I am. No. Although, who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe they still get pretty good money and they have more creative freedom. Who knows? Probably. All right, Bob. Um, let's, let's get back to this episode. Let's talk about character of the week. My character of the week goes to Kirk. I'm just going to give it to Kirk. Okay, Matt. Matt went with vegan Kirk. No, uh, go with I put vegan in Nooney and Singh, which I realized is uh, you know a little deceptive. Uh, so I, I should say Laan. It was a really good, uh, really good focus episode on Laan. Uh, I think it did more to enrich her character than the whole show to this point. Uh, not to say that she was bad before this, but I just thought it was very solid development of her. Uh, but you're right, Matt. It's also a very good look at vegan Kirk. What was your episode of the week, Matt? Was it this or was it the Legion of superheroes? It's going to go with tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, Bob. Got to give it credit. Shocking that I, who could have yeah. foreseen that? Who could have yeah, foreseen that? Good show. All right. Well, this has been a very long, very meandering, very strange episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and Legion of Superheroes. But I guess maybe that's what you sickos like. I'm uh, Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.